Blog Talk Radio. I'm Dorian Wallace. I'm Raina Starr. Welcome to it. I think I'm Raina Starr. Let me check. Yeah, that's me. Okay. Um, yeah, it's Saturday. You're Raina today. Sometimes when you get to a certain age, you start forgetting shit. <laughs> anyway, Desperate Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. Desperate House, which is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show. So, if bad language, bodily functions, dirty talk, or anything else offensive I might say will upset you. This is not the show for you. However, if you don't care about any of that, come sit by us because uh, we're going to have a good time this hour. We are going to be uh, in a great conversation, I feel, about crystals and the use thereof with today's guest, the author of Crystal Basics, Nicholas Pearson. So we're pretty excited about that. But before that, we must, of course, as always, thank our wonderful sponsor, the one, the only, the incredible one herself, the lovely, lovely Dorian Mar- Dorian Morrison. Did you just hear me say that shit? <laughs> Dorothy, she would hit me. Woo! Uh, Dorothy, let's try it again. Dorothy Morrison, don't be. Please don't, please don't be, Dorothy. Anyway, um, yeah, so she is, is, the month of Dorothy is now over, sad to say. Hopefully, yeah. y'all got your mystery boxes. They were fabulous. Mine was ecstatic. I'm telling you, you got to get them. They're fantastic. Anyway, Dorothy's products can be purchased on www.wickedwitchstudios.com. And if you need her stuff shipped overseas, check out www.theangrycauldron.com. They do her international shipping, and they also carry their own line of exquisite goods. But So today, I'm really excited, because we're going to talk to Nicholas Pearson. And this book, man, if you don't know anything about crystals, but y'all want to, this is the book. I got to tell you, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like the encyclopedia thereof, and I think it's ah. pretty awesome. I think you would think it's pretty awesome as well. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about grids. We're going to talk about uh, some stuff that I learned while reading the book that I did not know, because you know me, I don't know shit, but I'm willing to learn, <laughs> so... I think it's going to be a good time. So anyway, this week we have uh, a continuation of the George Floyd memorials and protests. Good on you. And Brianna. uh, And yes, and actually everyone. You know, when is this shit going to stop? You know, this shit was supposed to have stopped a long time ago. White people, get your goddamn shit together. Yes. Fucking yes. morons. You're racist morons. And, and stop making us all look fucking bad because you know your country asses need to just go back into the woods because I'm well, sick of it. It's, it's every time, every yeah. time we constantly say, this isn't going to ever happen again. And you know we're goddamn liars. We don't do what needs to be done. We don't demand, demand that legislation change that legislation be instituted to protect these people who apparently, you know, you tell people, well, you got to do it for yourself. They fucking tried, and we keep stopping them. So you know what? Exactly. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the goddamn problem, write your Congress people, talk about police reform, talk about prison reform, talk about education reform. Somebody write a goddamn bill that says no tolerance for shit cops. Please. Exactly. Please. Can we and stop, stop kneeling with them? Seriously. 
just don't deal with the, until the cops have real reform, then this is going to continue to happen. And yeah. it's going to go way beyond just black people. It's going to hit everyone. It's going to hit your home. Mm-hmm. You may not think it will, but it's fucking going to because someone you love is going to be with somebody who doesn't look like you. Deal with it. Okay? Get on yeah. the right side of his white people, for real. Let's. Can we get this thing done? Can we get it rolling, please? All right, I'm off my soapbox. What would you like to add, <laughs> sis? Um, stop kneeling with cops because I, I have seen plenty of video evidence where, you know, that 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 is meant to, oh, okay, we're feel good and, you know, oh, we're friends now. And then they turn around and pepper spray and, you know, a friend of my cousin, they corralled yeah. them yeah. in Uptown mm-hmm. and fucking shot mm-hmm. her in the back of the head. I'm pissed. I am fucking pissed. So I was like, I don't want to take away from our guest today, and he is in the queue. I'm going to stop that, and I'm just going to scream on Twitter. (laughs) Right on. But I love y'all. I support y'all. Yes. So would you like to bring him on? I'm sure he's he's probably terrified now. (laughs) Nah, we're harmless to him. (laughs) Bring him on. Nicholas Pearson, author of... The wonderful book, Crystal Basics. Hey, Nicholas, come on. Hi. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks hello, for being here, baby. Welcome. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. We have a dreary day here in Central Florida, so I've been doing some Ooh. research and, and collecting some notes for the next book and trying to hold some space and some light in this world. Yeah. Yeah, we need a lot more of that. So, Nicholas, you wrote this amazing book. Can I call you Nicholas, or do you have a different preference? Yeah, Nicholas is great. Uh, Perfect. So, you wrote this book, Crystal Basics. Of course, I'm going to ask you the standard question, why this book, why now? You know, it's it's something that um, feels kind of counterintuitive. A lot of people might put out their their intro to Crystal's book or their intro to whatever topic they're writing about at the beginning of their career. And it took me six books in to do that. Um, This book really began, I'd say, well over a decade ago, maybe 15 years ago, when I was first kind of delving into looking at mineral science and the correspondences between things like chemical composition, crystal formation process, the geometry of minerals, and their, their healing properties. But um, I never really had a, a very well collated system and approach to it. So I, I kind of let it on the back burner while I went away to school, worked in the museum, worked in the earth science field, and then did a whole bunch of other things. When I started writing, I was so far removed from the desire of, of putting out a beginner's book that um, I started with a lot more esoteric and a lot more specialized techniques. But in the ensuing years since the publication of my first book, so many people have come to me with the same questions. How do we choose crystals? What's the best way to cleanse them? How do we know what a crystal does? How do I find a book that tells me what crystals do and how to work with them? So I really wanted to put together a, a guide, a resource that kind mm-hmm. of addressed as many of those things in one place as possible. Well, I've got to tell you, it's pretty, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, it's, got a lot of information that I've not seen in other books, and I'm not saying I've read every crystal book, trust me, but I mean, you break it down in such a way that you know, you don't have to know what the crystal does to read the book, you have to know what situation you're working with, and then it tells you this is what you use, which I thought was fantastic and a really it's an easier approach. I am, you know, I am not the most studious person in the world, so I found that very helpful. <laughs> but tell the tell the folks what crystals, how they can use crystals, and what they would use crystals for, if you would. I mean, the the short version of this is really find an area of your life that you're working to support or improve or change or transform or you know help in any other way. 
And there is a way to support that by working with stones. Um, how we select that stone, of course, is going to be a very personal process. But um, as far as like the, the meat and potatoes of doing the work with the crystals, you know, so many times I've been asked, what do you mean by working with stones? What does that look like? And I mean, right. the simplest way, the simplest thing that I like to do is just sit with my stone or stones in quiet space. Um, I, I love to teach beginners a, a little method that I call a crystal contemplation. Get yourself some good lighting, natural if it's available. And, you know, just ooh and awe over your stone. Get to know it optically, visually. Assess every little nook and cranny, every face, every angle. If it's transparent or translucent, look inside it. Get a strong light behind it so you can do that. And then, you know, get to know it with all of the other senses that are safe and intelligent to use. Please don't lick your crystals. Um, but <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> Is that a thing? Do people do um, that? Well, maybe more on that later. But, um, you know, sometimes the... Yeah, maybe the in in a more more mineral science or rockhound setting, sometimes the the only way to know if something is halite is by taste. And so there are a few times uh-huh. that I've I've been holding things that are clearly some form of salt, and um, I have had a really good estimate that they they might have been halite or you know salt or or not. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. And taste is a real easy way to find out, but um, you really don't want to be wrong, so I don't recommend it. <clears throat> interesting but, that's very interesting yeah. but you know, as we sit there in this quiet space and we give our conscious mind something to do we, we're giving it the task of getting to know this rock our subconscious mind is going to enter into relationship with the stone and it is a sort of open space with no expectation attachment requirement um, we, we don't, we're not really putting any specific parameters on that we're just allowing it to be and that's where transformation takes place so any more conscious work that we do with our stones, whether that's a more formal meditation practice, laying stones on the body, wearing them, carrying them, making grids or elixirs, it all has to come from that space of relationship. And if we don't do the work to get to know them without expectation first, then the rest of it doesn't take us as far as it could. That's int- I never thought about that. Yeah. That's interesting. Huh. I mean, normally... I go into a place that that has crystals and I I look around and I pick them up and I mean I have a collection but I've never actually really done anything with them and some of them I've had for many many years and they just they just kind of feel good do you find that a lot of folks really are not using them to the correct potential and they just kind of collect shinies as it were yeah and I, I don't think that's just limited to the the crystal world either um you know back back when uh chagim trunkba the the tibetan um tibetan monk came to the u.s and he he had that whole kind of sex drugs and rock and roll lifestyle that seemed really counterintuitive for a tibetan buddhist um he coined the term spiritual yeah he coined the term spiritual materialism and um we see that Mm -hmm. sort of materialistic impulse Throughout all of the sort of metaphysical and magical milieu, we, we see people collecting crystals because they are things of value and beauty that we want to possess rather than yeah. beings of merit. Yeah. And instead, what we can do is view them as beings of merit and value that can co-create with us. And it's the same for any other object or even practice. How many people do we know who are what we might call attunement junkies that sit in every healing modality, get every attunement or initiation they can and collect the certificates? Mm -hmm. And are they really doing the work with that? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. So it's definitely a case-by-case kind of situation. That's interesting. I know that, you know, I mean, and I've known several people that just – it's kind of like collecting college uh, degrees. You know, I know some people who just, you know, they go to get the next piece of paper, but I don't think they're actually absorbing what it is they're learning. Is it along those lines, just being like a collector? Yeah, and, and you know, truth be told, there's nothing inherently wrong with that either. If If the only reason you're drawn to crystals is because of their beauty and you want to have a collection, I'm certainly not poo-pooing that. Um, but I think if, if we approach it as a spiritual process, a spiritual practice, then we have to meet them halfway rather than just treating them as inert things that we're going to use. Yeah. What do you, what, how does one assemble and what is the use of a crystal? Well, before we get to that, um, 
is there a right and a wrong way to select crystals? Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think there are as many different ways to choose crystals as there are situations that might require one or people hmm. who might desire one. Um, you know, I think a, a really easy approach that just about anyone can benefit from is when you're, when you're in front of the stone selection, whether it's at home and you're picking the crystal to carry with you through the day or in the store and you want to select one or, or scrolling through an online web shop trying to pick the right stone to add to your order. Um, we, we can kind of do the most good by tuning out the conscious mind instead of trying to work prescriptively. Oh, I have X problem in my life. So why crystal is good for that. Instead of doing that, just kind of take a step back and just be open to what attracts you. Um, and there's a, a certain level of stones that work with us because we feel that intrinsic connection or attraction. Um, but I, I also encourage people to be mindful of the stones they really feel uncomfortable with, the stones that maybe make your skin crawl a little bit or make you want to turn tail and run because those have really valuable lessons for us too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Which I did not know before reading this book. I was like, what? <laughs> because every time I go into a, a, a place to buy crystals, and we've got a couple of, of places here locally, and I always go and I try to feel the energy and see which one calls out to me, and I think a lot of folks do this, and whatever yeah. makes me feel calm or happy or whatever the energy is that I'm looking for that's kind of what I'm trying to zone in on, and that's always where I gravitate. And you're saying, hey, you're not learning anything that way necessarily, which I thought was yeah. fascinating. Yeah, you know, to a certain extent, and this is, of course, not universally true, but, but generally the trend is when, when we find those stones that give us the warm and fuzzy kind of feelings, they're, of course, mm-hmm. going to be wonderful allies for healing, for magic, for transformation. But oftentimes, they represent some lesson at the soul level that we're already familiar with. And real healing, Mm -hmm. real growth, authentic systemic change is uncomfortable. It's ugly. It's not linear. And so if we want to kind of confront the patterns that exist already, we have to introduce something foreign to those patterns. And so it's the crystals that feel less warm and fuzzy to us that are more than likely the ones that are going to initiate or assist those processes of deep change and you know we can look around in the world around us and see this same idea paralleled um authentic change is is not necessarily easy or or you know it's not all crystals and and sunshine out there but but reform Mm -hmm. is is going to be the result of this and it's the same in our healing practice we we see that lovely hermetic principle of correspondence at play as above so below as within so without Mm -hmm. as the universe so the soul um, that's that's what we're looking for. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and I never think of crystals that way. So I mean, it's like a whole, it's a whole new world and way to think of them because I never considered that stones were for healing in that regard. I mean, I've seen people use them in massage and putting stones on the body. Uh, to mm. resonate certain energies or send certain energies through to cause a healing. But your approach is, or what you suggest is, is that we can actually use these stones ourselves to go deeper. And when we pick up something that doesn't feel like the thing that makes you go, no, that's not the one I want. Maybe that's the one you should actually keep. Yeah. And, and of course, I'm not suggesting you buy. Yeah, I, I'm not suggesting you get the the biggest piece that you can and wear it all day long. That's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. of course, do do that work with it when it's smart. You know, spend 15 minutes alone in meditation with it. Then go grab your your warmest, friendliest, most cuddliest kind of stone to soothe that afterwards. Don't don't decide to drape yourself in it and try to go grocery shopping and pretend you're going to be a normal human being. <laughs> all things, yeah. All, all things in moderation here. So, so let me ask you something. When you pick up a stone and it feels, and it gives you that uncomfortable feeling, what is that? What is that energy? What is that actually? I'm trying to understand how I will know which one is the right one 
for that? Like when I'm when I want to do some internal work, how will I know which stone is the right one to give me or to aid me that I can work with to get over something? Does that make any sense? It does. Um, you know, I, I think just speaking from personal experience, um, when whenever we're dealing with anything on an energetic level, we tend to either feel a, a, a positive attraction to something, a sort of neutrality, or maybe some sense of, of repulsion or discomfort. And crystals in particular, um, of all three categories, are, of course, valuable and useful to your healing process. There's going to be a reason you choose any of them. But when we're looking for those that stir things up, um, sometimes when I hold them, I might feel that, that odd little tickle in the pit of my stomach, like the beginning of butterflies in the stomach before, before I've got um, you know, a bit of anxiety or something else. Other times it's a heaviness or just a sort of dullness that takes over instead of that, you know, sparkling luminous energy that we associate with something as, as beautiful as a gemstone. Um, other times you'll be holding something and, and immediately you get flashes of insight of, you know, the pain, the trauma, the stuff we sweep under the rug. Um, crystals are amazing reflectors and catalysts. So they have this ability to pull back the rug and, you know, point out all the, the dirt we've swept under there. And sometimes the pile is a lot bigger than we think it is. And, um, yeah. Yeah, how that translates to each of us is going to be unique. So we kind of need to explore it uh, and just feel it out for ourselves. Uh, I hate that feeling. See, I, I think I think people don't realize that that is what they're feeling when they pick up the stone and immediately put it back down and go, yeah, not this one. But, you know, I think you've really – you've certainly opened my eyes about, you know, don't be so afraid to keep the one that makes you kind of squeamish inside because there's some, there's something wrong that needs fixing. And I didn't realize that crystals did that. I didn't realize they had that kind of power, you know, I know that you and I were talking earlier about breaking down the, the myth that healing is supposed to be warm and fuzzy. Can do you want to talk about that? Yeah, you know this 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 goes right in line with with everything else. You know, if if for example we're seeing a, a qualified mental health practitioner of some sort, and you know we go through the counseling process, we go through um, you know whatever that that system might look like. It's it's rarely just you have one conversation about a traumatic event in the past and magically you're cured. Instead, what's going to happen is you're going to dig, you're going to get uncomfortable, there might be tears, you might want to throw things and scream and cry, you might want to, you know, freeze up, we all have our own kind of response to that. But, but by examining where those things come from, by seeing the pieces and how they fit together, we can, we can choose to do something about them. And, um, you know, with healing on a more holistic or maybe more spiritual uh, framework, it's, it's a very similar kind of idea sometimes to get to a state of wholeness, we have to confront the things we'd rather not. We have to face the, the things about ourselves that make us uncomfortable or fearful or ashamed. And it is in doing that, that we can maybe practice some self-forgiveness or maybe, um, you know, just let go of something that is an immutable fact of the past. It doesn't mean we necessarily have to, you know, forgive abusers and let bygones be bygones. Certainly draw hard lines in the sand, enforce healthy boundaries. Um, that's something that we get from yeah. doing this kind of shadow work. But it, it, it's not always this sort of warm, fuzzy, you know, I went to go see my Reiki therapist and laid on the table and it was an hour of bliss. Sometimes it's, you know, 15 minutes of bliss, 45 minutes of tears. Sometimes it, it just feels empty or isolating. It, it's okay if our healing process doesn't look as glamorous as, you know, our, our social media wants us to believe it should be. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, very true. So, you know, when using, in addition to you know, using stones for meditation. I know, you know, the term crystal grid is a fairly well-known term. 
what is that and and what do you what does it actually do and and you know what how do you figure out what you need to assemble it sure i think crystal grids are just like one of the most fun ways that we can work with our stones so um you know i like to define a crystal grid as some sort of intentional arrangement of stones that we arrange geometrically to manifest one particular outcome uh, or intention um so we have to bear in mind that this is intentional. We can't just like empty our pockets on the nightstand and, oh, cool, it made, it made a circle. That's a grid now. Um, there's got to be something <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. But, you know, this, this desire to place stones in geometric forms is as old as time itself. I mean, look at mm-hmm. the megalithic stone circles. Look at medicine wheels. Look at the giant monuments mm-hmm. that have been carved out of rock and stone since, you know, the dawn of time. We want to arrange stone in a way to either uh, memorialize or reflect one particular idea or concept um, and kind of carry that forward in time. And crystal grids are a... A, a smaller but no less important way of kind of reaching into that same universal human drive to work with stone. Um, as far as like how to make them, what we would do, uh, you need more than one rock for this. Uh, one could argue you need at least two, but I'd say three is probably a lot more pleasing. Um, mm-hmm. Use the ones use the ones that are in your kit already you start with the stones you've got. I think it's great to have a, a good assortment of just clear quartz, whether that's points or tumbled stones um, with, with a handful of those, maybe upwards of a dozen. And then any other stones you've got, you can make a ton of different geometric forms. Um, in the book, I go into some detail about the meaning of number and geometry in grids, um, the sort of vibration of per- particular numerological values as well as different geometric forms is something we can kind of superimpose on our grids to add a new layer of meaning. So it's not just I'm, I'm picking all my green stones for healing or I'm using these red stones for strength. The actual shapes and the numbers of stones that we choose can add a, another layer of energy to it. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you put all of the information in the book because I will tell you, <laughs> that's a lot of information. And because I, because I didn't write any of it down, I, I your book is very necessary. I really appreciate the fact that you added the composition of the stones and crystals as well. So for all of you science folks out there, uh, there's also that to consider in this book, in addition to just how to use crystals. You know, if you're interested in, in compounds and, and comparing them, which I think one would do to pick stones from a grid, do you, I mean, do they have to harmonize in some way? Uh, you know, one of my crystal healing teachers actually um, has her own system of, of dealing with grids where she either makes grids that are based on the geometry of all of the components. So you choose them because they are somehow related and already harmonized. And then the outer form of the grid will be based on their internal geometry. Or she has what she calls arrays, which will be maybe less regimented geometrically and maybe less, um, less related um, by, by chemistry or morphology. Um, I think with grids, we can be really creative and we don't have to be limited to those things. Elixirs, on the other hand, my experience has been that the the more unified, cohesive the stones are in a crystal elixir, the more effective and harmonious the end result. So that's one place where I do like to pay attention to what's going what's going into the end end product. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, because I would not know without guidance how that would even work or or what would match well. With what? I mean, are there any specific stones that should always stay away from each other? I mean, as, as far as my, my perspective on this goes, they're all part of the lithosphere. They, they all contribute to the sort of geological aspects of Mother Earth. They all contribute to the larger electromagnetic field of our planet. So they're already in harmony with one another on one level or another. Um, and oh. I think it is the addition of the human perception that can cause us to believe that some are maybe more harmonious than another. 
And really, this is a reflection of our baggage rather than the crystals. Yeah, well, I got uh-huh. some baggage. I'm just going to say. <laughs> You're not alone. I am carrying around a valise, baby. It is not just a little case. It is a lot of sh- Well, you know, I mean, at, at, you know, going on 60 in the next couple of years, I've been around enough to, um, let's say, lots of things wind up sticking to you after a while. Um, are, are crystals good for clearing out that kind of stuff? I mean, can they, can they clean you in such a way that even if you've got, like, decades of crap, can they assist in that, in, in loosening that up? They can. You know, part of it is a matter of being able to identify the, the sort of cosmic crud, if you will, that we want to release. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. if, if we're not capable of doing that ID work on our own, there are certainly stones that can help us. I think uh, two great ones that we can kind of use are obsidian and clear quartz for, for different reasons. They're both very reflective, very good at getting a sense of clarity. Obsidian is that really honest friend that calls you on your shit every time without fail, you know, just before you walk out mm-hmm. the door, they look you up and down and they go, really girl. And it's, really <laughs> <good at> it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sings a little bit, but then you fix it and the rest of your day is better. That's obsidian. Quartz on the other hand is like this, this moment of inner clarity that can maybe magnify the details of things. So we can, you know, do that self-assessment work ourselves. It shines a light on it. Um, and it does so maybe a little less caustically. Um, but once, once we've got our patterns identified, it's a matter of choosing the tool that's going to support us. And of course we can do this by flipping through the book, reading the definitions. Uh, Crystal basics itself actually has a, an index of healing properties by body, mind, and spirit. So, you know, if you have issues with um, money, if you've got issues with, um, you know, beliefs about self-worth and other things that you've picked up and added to your, your baggage over the years, you can find stones that will help you with that. But rather than just merely looking at the textbook definition going, oh, well, I'm going to buy one of every one of these and carry them until I'm better. Um, it's much better to have that, that sort of self-awareness of what caused this pattern in my life. Where does it come from? And then we can look at yeah. the stones whose who's, um, spiritual mechanisms, the things that drive their work is best suited to that pattern. And that's something that, you know, of course, we only get that experience over time doing this, really getting to know them. And that's why it's so important to start with getting to know your crystals one by one in that quiet space. How it interacts with you might be different in determining the end result and how it interacts with me. And that's because if you take the same fundamental property, the same mechanism or or motion that a crystal has in your energy field and apply it to two different people's different sets of baggage, you get different end results even though the mechanism was the same. And that's why when we look at all the crystal literature that's out there, we see so many conflicting messages about the same stone. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about that because there is a lot of conflicting information out there, you know. And as far as, you know, obsidian, I was always told that you know, the type of obsidian is very particular, too. Like, you can use black obsidian for one thing, but you wouldn't use it for the same thing as, like, a snowflake obsidian. Mm-hmm. Are the properties you know, certain, that different? Um, to a certain extent, they do differ. Um, it's going to really depend on, like, the nature of the beast. With obsidian, they're all fundamentally amorphous silica. They're all formed by remarkably similar processes. They all have the same kind of fundamental characteristics because they have the same composition and structure or lack thereof in this case and formation process. But with minute changes in in the chemistry of them, we get different appearances and patterns and and so on and so forth. So I like to think of it as theme and variation. Um, And the same is true of all members of the quartz family, all varieties of, of true Jasper, all, you know, all things that are otherwise just, Um, different colored permutations of the same mineral substance. But then you get other Mm -hmm. things that are really more like less closely related families. The tourmaline group, for example, is not one mineral species. So, you know, the quartz family isn't really a proper family. It's one mineral that comes in lots of colors. It's the tiniest little bit of change that, that affords us an amethyst versus a rose quartz or a smoky quartz or even an agate. But in the case of tourmaline, these are, these are a group of minerals that are like cousins. 
they, they share some DNA, but not all their DNA. Um, these are things that will have this, yeah, they're going to have very similar, um, ratios of ingredients, but it will be different Mm -hmm. ingredients arranged in, in similar structures that yield very different species. So your black tourmaline has a starkly different personality than a green tourmaline owed to the fact that there's a pretty big change in chemistry there. Um, and the same is true of the garnet group. So garnets are not one species. You know, we like to generally think of garnet as red, but garnet comes in every mm-hmm. color of the rainbow. Um, yeah. I, I, when I was a, I like in college, yeah, yeah, when I was in college learning um, geology, I had a, an, a, a fairly old textbook that I was reading that said garnet came in every color of the rainbow except blue. Um, several years later, I found out there were microscopic blue garnets in the kimberlites of South Africa. And then later, they discovered macro garnets. I actually have one blue garnet in my collection, a sliver the size of one of my fingernails. But I finally got a blue garnet. Um, and these are, these are something similar to the tourmalines, where it's the same general formula, but different ingredients substituting for one another in there. And then they form what's also called a, a state of solid solution. So we can, we can form like a series or a gradient from one species to the next by substituting just a little bit of one's ingredients for the others. And in a perfect world, we have those two end members. You know, think of like red and yellow as being end members, but then mm-hmm. there are all those shades of orange in between them. Well, in, in the geological world, we get more of those in between rather than just things existing perfectly on the end. So that's another factor for why we can pick up two different examples of the same mineral and still experience moderately different properties because they may not be precisely the same. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that was a comprehensive answer. So they are really different. I mean, because, you know, you change one cell on something and it changes the nature of the entire organism. You know, it may have a lot of the same DNA, but that one thing that's different is what makes it unique and changes it into something completely different. I didn't think about that. That thank you. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, inher- inherently it's the same, but guess what? It's really not. <laughs> you know. So I think that's pretty fascinating. I you know, I noticed in the book that you put the hardness down of everything. Was that in case uh folks wanted to consider wearing it? What, why was that included? Oh, you know, that's a great question, and I don't think I've ever been asked before, so thank you. Um, there, no, you're there definitely are, yeah, there are practical considerations. You know, if you do want to wear a piece of jewelry, a ring, for example, choose a harder stone because something soft in ring form is not going to last long because you might not be aware, but your hands bump into things all day long. Um, Delicate stone. Yeah. Delicate stones might be better suited for, you know, lightweight pendants up high and close to the neck, or maybe as earrings, uh, maybe a brooch Mm -hmm. that's not going to go anywhere. But um, you know, that's one consideration. The other is storage. If you're, if you're going to store a bunch of stones together and you put a really hard stone with a really soft stone, that soft stone is, not going to last quite so long. But there's even a, a third, maybe slightly more esoteric reason, one that's a little bit more therapeutically inclined. Um, and mm-hmm. that's because the, the sort of function of a crystal, its, its energies are going to be in some way shaped by the hardness. So generally speaking, we can use softer minerals more effectively on acute conditions. They also tend to have gentler effects if we use them over longer periods of time. Um, If we do something that is much harder, um, then those harder stones are going to be a little bit better suited to the the long-term, the chronic, the long-standing conditions that we've got. Um, So Mm -hmm. the harder mineral is, the closer its energy is to like that idea of absolute truth. So, um, There are many layers to why we might be concerned with the hardness of something, but um, definitely the practical ones, I think, come first and foremost. Wow. That never occurred to me. See? I'm learning so much. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and and I have to thank you also for, I mean, because not only do you get the formula, the hardness, the crystal system, which I guess is, not how it's formed, but how is that how it looks molecularly? Yeah, that's that's a really great way to describe what the crystal system is. 
Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> See, I can learn. <laughs> but you also but you also put the corresponding chakra or chakras that it, it could correspond to. I should say that's actually the better way to say it. Um, and you give a picture of each one, which I think is pretty fantastic. So not only do you get that in this book, but you also get the following. You get the physical healing aspects, the psychological healing aspects, okay, and the spiritual healing aspects. So for folks who often confuse psychological with spiritual, and i got to tell you, I find that happens a lot, you get all of that information laid out. And I think that is, like, so beneficial, you know. So there's more than one way to cross, or rather there's multiple cross-referencing points in the book, which I think is, you know, pretty fantastic. Um, And I'm very appreciative of that. There was something I wanted to ask you about. Yes, yes, yes. So I don't know if you are aware or if you remember, but, Nicholas, a few years ago there was a company that came out with these water bottles. Uh, And the water bottles would have like a capsule inside it of crystals. And I bought a few of these, actually. And I really fell in love with them. And for some reason... Maybe it was psychosomatic, but my husband and I believe that the different crystals encased in the glass had an effect on the taste of the water. Do you know anything about that and if that's even possible or was it all in our heads or be honest? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think this is one of those cases where there are many layers to it. And when we talk about the subtle energies in the universe, we have to foremost recognize that we can't measure them. That's why they're subtle. They're not gross. They're not material. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, some of this was in your head. But then again, everything you experience is on one level or another in your head. So um, that that doesn't deny the experience that you had. So, you know, when we talk about holistic healing and integrative medicine, we talk a lot about the placebo effect. But there's a reason the placebo effect is is so well documented and so well studied and why we use it in every drug trial ever because it works. We don't have to know why. So, you know, let's, let's put that in a box for a moment and talk about what I think is really taking place. Um, Water has an incredible memory to it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with uh, the images of ice crystals that Dr. Emoto took um, where he exposed water to words and sounds and pictures and other vibrations and, you know, showed how there was a, 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 some sort of correlation between the intention and the, the resulting crystal. Uh, long before he was doing that work, though, there's a gentleman by the name of Marcel Vogel. He, is, um, he was the father of all uh, liquid crystal technology. So like our modern LCD screens, he invented them with his team at IBM. He was a research scientist with them for 27 years. And um, he invented the term liquid crystal mesophase, a state between liquidity and crystallinity. And he was one of the first scientists to observe that, that there's not just one kind of water. Water doesn't just exist as a, a liquid, a solid, or a gas. Even in liquid form, there are several states that water takes, and we can loosely categorize them into the state of bulk water, which is not organized, sort of randomized assortment of molecules, or it can be a liquid crystal mesophase where the components are more organized in a sort of geometric state. Um, when we're doing anything where we're exposing crystal, or crystal energy to water, we are entraining that water to remember the energy field of the crystal. And um, Vogel actually worked with um, a winery in California and introduced some of his crystal technology um, I can't remember the winery off the top of my head, but they, they use one of his faceted crystals in this very special water structuring device. And um, if, if they use it correctly, it, it speeds up the process of the maturation of the wine and improves the taste. And they've done blind taste tests on this to document what, what people prefer. And it's the crystal energized wine versus the not crystal energized wine. Um, lots of people have done informal comparisons of crystal energized water or imprinted water versus the bulk water that comes out of the tap or a water bottle or any other source. And most of us will appreciate the taste of the energized water, even if we don't believe in that stuff. It's still something that is 
um, happening. So uh, definitely, I believe this works. There's a whole chapter in the book on making crystal elixirs or, you know, taking that crystal energy and um, subjecting it to water. So water's memory will hold that vibration, that imprint, that, that soul spark from the stone. So we can then work with it in, in other ways. Um, so I think it's a brilliant way to apply crystal energy not all of those water bottles out there are made equally i will say the first company that mm-hmm. did it the one you're referring to is called vita jewel they're some of the best quality ones i've seen there are, there are lots of little um indie makers that are doing some great stuff too but do be mindful if the crystals in your water bottles are exposed to water directly um just make sure the the chemistry of them is appropriate for what you're consuming huh that's yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the company that I got mine from is, is in Europe, and um, yeah, they, they really, they're, they were very expensive. I have to be honest, they were like two hundred plus a piece. But they, I, I don't know what it is because I, I actually gave some water to a skeptic, and I said, here, try this, and he said, that's really good water. And I said, do you have any idea of why this is so amazing? And he was like, I think it's in your head. And I said, well, it could be. (laughs) But I I feel like something's different. And, you know, and then I gave it to the biggest skeptic I know, which is the one I'm married to. And I said, this tastes different to me. And normally he'll say, no, it doesn't. You want it to, but it doesn't. And he was like, what did you do to this water? It's amazing. I'm like, it's not me. It's the crystals. And, he's, and you know, he went from skeptic to believer in like a minute and a half, which is pretty fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought there was something to it aside from, you know, the mere fact that, I, you know, I was invested in it. I just think, you know, that it does affect change on the water. And I'm so glad that you actually gave me a real reason and way that that could be. So thank you. I'm not completely insane, mostly, but not completely, (laughs) you know. Um, But, you know, you mentioned elixirs and elixirs, I'm assuming is a very different thing from what I'm talking about. So what would be the use or what would be a reason to make a crystal elixir as opposed to working with the stone? You know, honestly, the the crystal elixirs, they they go by a lot of names. You might call them essences, elixirs, gem waters. Um, It's it's the same fundamental principle as that water bottle. Some people will... um, only call an elixir or an essence something that has a preservative in it. You might use glycerin or brandy or apple cider vinegar or even sea salt, depending on, on the exact application. Um, but why, yeah. why uh-huh. use an elixir versus the stone to carry with you? Well, on the one hand, um, when, when we're working with elixirs, it allows us to safely take in a crystal's energy on an internal level. Um, that's mm. only given that we've made them in an intelligent fashion, if you place a toxic mineral directly into your drinking water and you consume said water, bad things might happen. Um, So there are indirect methods for making crystal elixirs. So you have safe ways to make crystals by not actually, or make elixirs by not having direct contact between the water um, and the stone. You'll you'll see a couple of those ways described in the book. Um, But the, the benefit to making an elixir is that we can really work with stones very viscerally. Imagine, if you will, how much water there is in your body. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. We, we say about, about 70% by, by mass. But if you do a molecular count, if you tallied up every molecule in your body by name and gave a, a total count of all the molecules we're made of by number, by quantity, you are more than 99% water molecules. They're just so tiny. They have so little mass that it yeah. takes that many molecules to make up 70% by mass. So you are, you are more water than you are anything else. Now, in an idealized setting for optimal health, every one of those water molecules is supposed to be part of a liquid crystal system. So mm-hmm. one of the explanations for our, our sort of gradual deterioration of physical health 
the aging process or whatever else I might call that is a, a loss of the integrity of our liquid crystal system. And so if we take in water that has already been energized, already been structured in some way to behave as a liquid crystal mesophase, then our body doesn't have to structure that water. Our body can put it directly to use and all the better if it's not just ordered and structured, but carrying the specific order and structure of crystals that are of benefit to our well-being. Wow. So the word you used was, I'm sorry, liquid crystal mesophate. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, mesophase. So meso is from the, the Greek word um, that means to be in the middle of. So it's a state uh-huh. in between liquidity and crystallinity. It, it's a, a substance that behaves on, at least on the surface level, like a, a liquid, but is more organized at the molecular level than a liquid should be. Mm. Okay. Oh, good to know. See, I'm I'm getting my education today because it's Saturday and I need my education. But I mean, it's fast. I mean, this is really fascinating. You know, here you think crystals. Oh, well, that's simple. You know, you wear it and and it does what it does. But you actually have to work with it. It's not just a, you know, you put it in your pocket and everything fixes. You really actually have to get to know these stones and crystals and and find out their properties. And, and you know, it's got to be more than the shiny thing you like and you hope it works well with you, you know, or does great things for you. I mean, this is this is like an art form, which is why I guess you are interested in it and wrote this book, which I find fantastic. Thank you for doing that. Um, but I like the fact that you give recipes so to speak, um, of what basically what pairs well with what for certain things. You know, like you have an energy clearing elixir, the communication blend. You know, you've got like all of these reference points that folks can go to that maybe don't want to do all the schoolwork you did. And, again, thanks, because no. Um, <laughs> So I need all the help I can get, and I'm very appreciative of it. Um, You know, I like the idea also that, you know, you mention more than one type of grid. Everyone knows the circle, the standard circle grid that you like see on TV a lot, but there's so many other things to do with a crystal grid and so many other reasons to have one. It's not a one-and-done and and all-purpose thing. Can you talk about crystal alignment a little bit and and why it's important to put things in a certain order? So, yeah, if we're talking specifically about about grid work um, or even, like, laying crystals on the body, um, Mm -hmm. the, the, the order can be, on the one hand, largely subjective, uh, the the reason we might go in one direction for another might might vary from situation to situation. But let's let's pretend we're doing like a chakra layout, um, you know, uh, a stone yeah. for every chakra. Um, how mm-hmm. or why we might do that might look different for for every person on the table. But in most cases, we start from the ground up, um, unless we've got someone who's so far out there we can't reach them unless. We start in the ethers with them. Um, but the, the order of events, I think, is really a malleable thing. When it comes to creating grids, um, how, how we do that is going to be tailored to the situation at hand. So you'll see, you know, the recipes for grids and layouts and elixirs in the book. And so those orders of events that are described in there are kind of general situations. So you can tailor mm-hmm. that to your needs. Treat it like any recipe book. You know, if, if you really hate dill and you're, you know, making a, a, a soup that's heavy on the dill, maybe you'll substitute fennel or celery seed instead because you like those better. Um, but when we make those kinds of substitutions, whether it's in the context of crystal healing or even if we're changing ingredients in, you know, spellcraft, we need to make sure we're making a substitution that makes sense. If, mm-hmm. if you are making chocolate cake and it calls for vanilla extract and you're all out, you probably don't want to add a, a different flavoring ingredient if it's not appropriate. If, if this is where you decide to add dill, you're going to probably not enjoy your chocolate cake. So <laughs> the institutions we make should be intelligent ones. Right, of course. That may, Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, you can't just throw anything in there. 
<laughs> it's not going to work out the same way. That's a great point. Thank you, Thank you for bringing that up. Um, wow, we are down to not a lot of time, Nicholas. We're, we're down to like five minutes. Um, so before I let you go, um, and we let you go, I wanted to ask you, are there any, first of all, are you writing anything else? And if so, what? And when can we expect it? Yeah, so um, when when the pandemic began, I had uh, a little bit more free time on my hands than normal. That has since changed. I have less free time on my hands than normal, but I am writing. Um, I can't give away too many details at this stage, but suffice it to say that I'm I'm not writing about the same topic. I'm I'm not working with the mineral kingdom in this book. I've moved on to a different kingdom in nature. Um, I'll be back. I'll, I'll never stop talking about rocks. I have a lot more planned to say on rocks. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited that this topic is also going to be a lot richer than some of my others. So um, expect this to be a little bit more magical and alchemical. And as far as when, nice. I'm not real sure. Um, I, I would imagine it's, it's going to be a hot minute before it, it goes to press. I don't have the manuscript <laughs> done yet. And then there's a, right. a long process between handing that over to my publisher and seeing a finished product because so many talented hands and eyes will we'll see that manuscript and, and help finesse it into the finished product. Um, but I mean, right. the good news is that if you're looking for more from me, I've got a backlog of books that you're welcome to check out. Um, in fact, uh, t- today I, I might be receiving some good news about another of my books involving an award, but I Ooh. can't say more just yet either. So we'll, we'll uh, see how tonight goes. <clears throat> Thank you. Oh, that's so awesome. You have been such a delight and and such an enlightening guest. It, this has been awesome. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I've been a, a witch 30-something years, and I still really didn't know what an elixir was. I was like, how do you do that with crystals? So thank you for explaining that well, and everything. You. So Nicholas, where are you? Are you do you have anything scheduled appearance-wise or class-wise that we can tell folks about? Sort of, yeah. Um, I am my 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 big long book tour to celebrate the the birth of Crystal Basics is on hold because now is not a really travel-friendly time, and I want to encourage everyone to practice an abundance of caution and do the right thing for them, whatever that looks like. So instead, I I do have some online appearances planned. Um, My next online class is going to be sponsored by my dear friend, Sharon Britton. Um, She has a shop called High Springs Emporium. Um, And so she's kind of old school. So to register for that class, it's called Crystals for the Resistance. Um, We're we're talking about stones to help us resist fear, resist division, to promote unity, to do the healing work we need. And if you're not a frontline kind of person, there's ways we can support those frontline people um, from from the comfort of our home or maybe from the discomfort of our home as we do our introspective work to change the patterns we hold. Um, So we're going to be talking about those, and that's going to take place uh, one week from today on June 13th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., so uh, the, the way to find out is to actually call her shop. Um, you can find all her contact details on her website, which is highspringsemporium.net, or reach out to me. I'll send you in her direction. Um, you can visit my website, which is www.theluminouspearl.com. You can find me on Facebook also as The Luminous Pearl, or on Instagram as, guess what, The Luminous Pearl. The Luminous Pearl. <clears throat> Absolutely. Awesome. Oh. Well, Nicholas, I hope I can coax you into coming back on with us and talking some more about crystals and, you know, definitely crystals for the resistance. Honey, we could do an hour on that. <laughs> I'd be happy Let's to. Let's do it. Let's do that. <laughs> can we can can we reschedule? I will be I will be contacting you the minute we're off the air, which is about to be in a minute. So, Nicholas Pearson, you are a gem. Uh, no pun intended. You are delightful. <laughs> Crystal Basics is the book. Seriously, I encourage anybody who's even slightly interested in crystals, and y'all should be anyway, pick this up because it gives you a lot of information. Instead of just telling you do this, this, and this, it tells you why. And why is actually important. You need to know why you're doing what the fuck it is you're doing. Anyway, Nicholas, thank you again. We really appreciate it, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, folks, and thanks to everyone listening.
All right. Thank have you a great so afternoon. Talk have to a talk wonderful to you. Weekend. You too. All right. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Right. Talisman and I are rescheduled for, yes, Wednesday night at 6.30. Yesterday's show had to be postponed because the internet went out. Woohoo! Oh, so no. You will... Oh, it was hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> so we will be on 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday night. I will post it. All right, y'all, have a great weekend, and we will talk to you soon. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys.